Pastor John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. hope you're enjoying our family project series that we're in. Uh, all of our small groups are studying this together. Last week, we had our Awana Sunday, so I'm going to be a, a week behind. I thought about just skipping this one and going on so I could stay on track, but it's too good, so uh, it is what it is. I'm going to just continue to preach the series in the order that uh, I was going to preach the, those. Therefore, the small groups, you may be a week ahead of me, but that's okay. Uh, there's enough scripture there. There's enough study material there that there's no way I will exhaust it in the sermon, nor will you exhaust it in just one session together. So, uh, so anyhow, I'm glad you're here. Hope and pray you're getting plugged into some of our small groups. I know we've started up several new ones, and, uh, and they're getting started well, and so I'm thankful for that. Uh, so today, though, if you remember a few weeks ago, we started this sermon series on the family project. And for those that don't know, several new folks have asked, what is the table up here for? This is our, my personal, our personal, the Cannon family kitchen table that we raised our kids around back in the day. And we no longer use this one. It was down in the basement for some time. And I had Dave refinish it for me. And I brought it into my office. And the table sits in my office now. And I do meetings and counseling and different things around that. But this is the table that we actually raised our family around and the kitchen table a a place where you gather the family together is such an important part of a family there's so much that takes place around the table with discussion one with another now listen I know you young parents today with these younger children you live in a different world than what we lived in raising our kids we did not have to have this battle and this competition with technology like is out there today. It seems like people can't live their life anymore without being on social media. I mean, it's kind of sad where we've come to with all of that. And unfortunately, that kind of comes into the family and comes around the table. And I'll go out to eat dinner with my family. We're sitting there talking. I look around. I see families that are sitting there, but nobody's talking to each other because everybody has an iPad propped up in front of someone or someone's on the phone. Even mom and dad are, are Facebooking or whatever. And nobody's carrying a conversation on one with another. So you got to guard against that. I realize, I'm not saying it's all bad. Uh, there's, there's a place for social media. I'm not an anti-social media guy. There's a place for it. But we must build some disciplines in our life, especially when it comes to the area of our family. So it's so important that you have a place where you assemble your family together. And if you've never done that, why don't you start? Today would be a good day to start that and just gather the family together around the table and talk one with another. So that's kind of the theme for this entire sermon series. A few weeks ago, we unpacked the very first message, or I did, uh, on the family project. And that was just simply talking about the importance of the family. Remember that Sunday? That was kind of really emotional, and I kind of lost it up here. We're sitting around this table, and uh, so we also lost it on podcast. We don't have it recorded, so it's kind of a one and done. So I hope you're able to, to remember some of that. The second service, we talked about the theology of the family, and we really started to dig into Scripture a little more and see that the family is really a reflection of who God is. And we talked about several ways that we're to act and react and treat each other around the table in the family because we're created in the image of God. Well, today we're going to take it one step further and we're going to see that God does not want us to be alone. God does not want man to be alone. We'll see here in just a moment in Scripture, the only time when God said it is not good, talking about His creation, the only time when He said it's not good is when... He, he saw that Adam had no one. He said, okay, now this is not good. Man was alone. We've always known, even in the secular world system, that there is a problem for all of humanity, and that problem is isolation. 
That problem is when you live life all alone. It's a fundamental problem of all of humanity. And God saw that in Genesis chapter number 2 whenever he said it's not good that man be alone. So I want to try to unpack for you this morning several different things that God did to bring a solution to this problem that mankind, that we would not have to live alone. Remember, I've told you many different times that life really is about relationships, right? It's about a relationship that you have with the Lord. It's relationships that you have one with another. It's really not about a bunch of religious rules and regulations. Can I get amen right there? It's not about coming in and checking a box and living out the rules and regulations that man may put on you. Life is about relationships. Everybody say relationships. You remember when the man came to Jesus? He said, Lord, Master, Teacher, Great Teacher, what is the greatest command in all of Scripture? You remember what Jesus said? Very quickly, he quoted to him in in the modern day language of that day, the Shema that he probably learned as a young Jewish boy, he said, love the Lord your God, right? With all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, that's the first. But then he said, the second is likened unto the first. The second commandment is like the first commandment. What? Love, finish it for me, you know this, love your neighbor as yourself. So what Jesus was saying, the very most important thing in all of humanity is that you enter into a personal relationship with a holy God and that you love him and serve him. But secondly, that you learn how to love your neighbor as yourself. So you've got to have this vertical relationship and this horizontal relationship taking place in order to find, I believe, fulfillment in life, right? You got to get those things in order. So I want to show you real quickly, and then I'm going to lean into something um, a little more practical at the end of the message here. But I want to share with you about three or four things, first of all. Number one, I want you to see this. If you're taking notes, I want you to get this. Number one, God created Adam, and he placed him in the Garden of Eden to work. Okay? Now I want you to get this. It says in Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and then in verse number 15. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's verse 8 and 9. Verse number 15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to what? Keep it. The scripture here says to tend it. And to keep it. Okay? So let's go back to the first point. Here's what I want you to see about God. God created Adam and he placed him in Eden, in the garden, to do what? To work. Guys, I want you to understand. I believe sometimes we in America, we misunderstand this. A lot of times we in America think that work is the curse. Are you with me? Therefore, we're raising a whole generation of young adults and young people, even older folks as well, that just don't want to work. Are you with me, church? Can I, can I get in your lap a little bit, right? Can I, can I preach in your world some? I want you to know that work is not the curse. When God created everything, He placed Adam where? In the garden to do what? To work. He placed him there. So I want you to see that work is not the curse. What is the curse? Because of sin. That now we're going to get tired because of the work. Now we're going to have aches because of the work. Now we're going to sweat because of the work. Matter of fact, the Word of God teaches over the New Testament that if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Right? If a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. So here's what I want you to see. That work is not the curse. God created Adam and he placed him in the garden to work. Second thing I want you to see is this. God's purpose for man is not just limited to work. Okay? God's purpose for man, number two, is not just limited to work. Adam was created for relationship. So for all of you and all of us workaholics that are out there... I want you to know that we were created for something more than just to work, right? We were also created for relationship. 
And here we find in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 through 23, listen to this. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Next verse. Keep, keep rolling with me here. And out of the ground of the Lord God, he formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air, and he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But, at, but for Adam, there was not found a helper compatible to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep. Here's the first surgery that took place in Bible. He was a, God was also an anesthesiologist. He put Adam to sleep, right? And he had this very first surgery. Put him to sleep. Uh, to fall, had this sleep fall on Adam. And he slept. Now get this. And he took one of his ribs and he closed up its flesh. Or he closed up the flesh in its place. And then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man. Everybody say taken from man. What did he take from man? You know what the job of that rib was, ladies? That rib was to hold our bellies in. So now for all the guys that walk around with this pot belly, I, want, I don't want you ladies to fuss about that. That was the rib that God took to create you, okay? I want you to understand that. Now you won't find that in the Bible anywhere, but that's what I come to believe, right? <laughs> so I tell my, hey, don't fuss about that. You wouldn't even be here if that belly wasn't there, right? So anyhow, the rib which the Lord God, that's just a little joke, the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made it into a woman, and he brought her to the man. In verse 23, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. and She should be called woman because she was taken from man. And here's what I want you to see. God created man. He saw that man was alone. He said that is not good. He placed him in the garden to work, which was his purpose. The second part of his purpose was to live life in relationship. That's when God said it's not good. He caused the sleep to fall on Adam. He took his rib. He created the woman. He woke Adam up. And then he had a marriage ceremony. He brought Adam and Eve together. And that leads to my third point I want you to see here. When Adam sees Eve, he begins to sing. Right? Now, I want you to pay attention back in verse number 19. It says that when Adam saw all the animals, that he named them, right? He saw an eagle. And I don't know what caused him to name the eagle an eagle, but he saw something in the eagle, and he said, that's an eagle. He saw a cow that looked like a cow, what we would think is a cow today. It wasn't named a cow. And he said, that's a cow. That's a dog, right? That's a cat. That's an elephant, that's a zebra. My wife's favorite animal at the St. Louis Zoo is the giraffe. Adam looked around one day, saw this thing with a long neck on it, said, I don't know what in the world I'll call that. A giraffe, right? I mean, that's what Adam did. So whenever he saw all these different creations that God had created, he just put a tag on them. Elephant, zebra, giraffe, dog, right? Cat, lion, and so forth and so on. But when he saw woman, he did just say, woman. No. He began to sing this song because he came to the realization that God was meeting one of his deepest needs in life. And that was someone to share life with. That was someone to have a relationship with. And so Scripture says... That whenever he saw Eve, that he said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called, whoa, man. Right? That had to be Adam's reaction. Whoa, man. God said, okay, we'll call her that. Woman. Right? So guys, whenever your bride walks in that door, whenever you see her, <laughs> my wife showed me a funny, or my wife showed me a funny video that my son had posted from somewhere, and, and it was, look at this, look at that, and I saw that video, and I'm thinking that had to be what Adam was thinking. Look at this, look at that, 
Whoa! Man! A woman! This is it! Now, guys, let me tell you something. Especially you husbands and those that are engaged or those that have a boyfriend or girlfriend and you're looking at that relationship as the next step, possibly married, married or marriage. If you can't look in her eyes and you can't look at her and you can't say, whoa, man. Now, hold on, guys. You don't need to be saying that about every woman you'll see, right? Hello? That's called lust. Are you with me? But it's okay for you to be saying that about your woman, right? And I've said that about my woman for 30-something years. Look at that. Hello? Woo! Man, I love relationship with my wife. I can't think of anything more than the time we get to spend together and the time we get to build life in this relationship. Man, it's been a journey. We've been married 30 plus years. And I love every minute of it. I've heard people say, I ask them, how long have you been married? And they say, five years, but it feels like 20. I'm like, what's wrong with that picture? Right? Whenever I've been married 30 years and it feels like two or three. I mean, I am amazed how the years have flown by. I love it. So Adam here now sees Eve and he begins to sing. And my fourth point I want you to get, and then I'm going to get into something very practical here, is God, wa- God walked Eve down the aisle to Adam. And he gave her over to Adam. And so you see the very first wedding ceremony, if you will, taking place here whenever God brought this woman to Adam and he brought them together in relationship. And we see how God orchestrated this. Solomon reminds us in Ecclesiastes in verse number 9, he says this. He says, enjoy life with the wife whom you love. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. (laughs) Sometimes Solomon's a little uh, pessimistic here. But anyhow, he says, live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your life. Guys, and I I guess because I'm a guy, I preach to us guys a little straight. If you can't enjoy life with the wife that you have beside you, then I want you to know that something is wrong. Right? Something's wrong. And probably the something that's wrong is not your wife, it's you. Right? And I'm going to unpack that in just a minute, so hang on. But I'm just trying to lay the foundation here. Solomon says... Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your life, which He has given you. Everybody say, He has given you. Under the sun, all the days of vanity, for that is your portion in life and the labor which you perform under the sun. And then He also tells us, or the Bible tells us in Proverbs 18 in verse number 22, He who finds, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Let me tell you guys something. 30 years ago, I found a good thing. And I hope you guys can say whatever your anniversary date and your wedding date was, I hope you, you can say, man, I have found a good thing. I cannot imagine living my life without my wife beside me Every journey, every step that we take. You know, guys, I love a good men's ministry, and I enjoy a good men's outing. But that stuff doesn't rev my engine like spending quality time with my bride. Are you with me, guys? I know, ladies, I kind of preach to the guys, and I apologize, but if you're a lady, you should say amen right here because you want a guy that I'm preaching to right here like this, right? I mean, I enjoy hanging with the guys, and I enjoy going out and doing some guy stuff, but I don't live for that. Have you seen those guys that all they live for is a guy's outing, right? The next guy's outing, the next golfing trip, the next hunting trip, the next men's conference. That stuff has its place, but it doesn't. (laughs) 
It doesn't create my engines like spending time with my bride. Nothing takes place of that. And that's what Proverbs 18.22 is saying. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. I believe second to salvation, the most important date on any of our calendars is the wedding day. Now for me, salvation took place on November the 13th, 1977. I had just turned 13 years old. My birthday is November the 12th, 1964. November the 13th, I accepted Christ as my Savior. I'll never forget that moment. I'll never forget the day in our youth group and our youth pastor was having communion with just the youth group and he gave a stern warning. If you are not a born-again believer, do not come to to the front of the church and partake of communion. You'll be eating and drinking damnation to your soul. Therefore, those of you that have accepted Christ, and I was in a large youth group, several hundred of us, those of you that have accepted Christ, I want you to get up out of your seat. We're sitting all throughout the auditorium. I want you to come to the front, fill up the front, from the front to the back, and we'll have communion. And I remember I watched my buddy Gordon Hicks get up from the right and take off down to the front. I watched my buddy Jeff Siegel get up from my left and take off down to the front. And there I sat there. And here's something you got to understand. When we got out of church on Sunday, here's what we did. After we went to Grandma's, we all went right back to the church, and we played football in the front yard of the church all Sunday afternoon. And then we went to youth group just as soon as football was over in our grass-stained blue jeans or shorts or whatever it was. We we stunk, sweaty, went right into youth group, and there we were in our youth group for the evening. And I had just played footballs with those boys. We just went down to the ice cream shop, which is about two blocks down from our church, and had ice cream right before youth group. And then came up to youth group time, and there I saw myself separated from God. And I saw them get up and go. And I went and I pulled on the shirt of my youth pastor and I said, I'm not saved. I can't take communion. He said, would you like to be? And I said, yeah, but I don't know how. And I remember he knelt me down there at the altar and he went down the Romans road with me and he prayed the sinner's prayer with me and I accepted Christ as my Savior and I took communion that night. That was November the 13th, 1977. I'll never forget it. But there's another date that I will never forget. August the 4th, 1984, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And it had to be a God thing. We didn't set out for it to be the number 84, but that was my number in, in football all through high school. I played defensive end and offensive end, and I was number 84. And here on that date, we get married in the eighth month on the fourth day at 4 o'clock. Hello? I don't believe in accidents. I believe in divine appointments. I believe God was orchestrating this whole thing. I'll never forget the day when I saw my bride walk down that aisle to me at 4 o'clock. There she came. And we said, I do. My life changed drastically. It changed November the 13th, 1977 when I accepted Christ. But the second biggest day in my life is August the 4th, 1984, when my bride and I said, I do. And we took our vows right there. Wow, that's good stuff. That's what starts the family. A man and a woman coming together and living together, sharing life together in holy matrimony. What a beautiful picture God made for us when He created Adam and created Eve and brought them together. So let me give you the practical side of this now, okay? All of that was kind of straight out of just the theological side of it, but I want to give you a little bit of the practical side. Here's the so what of all of that. And here's what I want you to get. Real quickly, I'm going to try to give you four commitments. Four commitments to marriage, okay? And if you haven't implemented these, Today would be a good day to start implementing these four commitments. If you're thinking about marriage in the future, today will be a good day to start incorporating these four areas into your relationship because this is what you're going to build your marriage on, okay? Four commitments to marriage. Number one, I want you to write this down. Commitment number one is to receive your mate. Receive. Everybody say receive. Okay, that's a key word. 
receive your mate. It says in verse number uh, Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 21, I want you to look what the Bible says. It says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs, and he closed it up, and he, placed, and he replaced the flesh, and he put the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, and he made a woman, and he brought her to the man. He brought her to the man. So here's what I want you to see. Adam received his mate. Now, question. When Adam woke up out of his sleep and he saw this beautiful, whoa man, right? What did he know about her? What did he know about her? He didn't know anything about her. But he did know something about God. Because he and God were already in a relationship. So whenever he woke up out of surgery, he didn't know a thing about this woman named Eve. But yet we see him singing this beautiful song. Whenever he lays eyes on her, he said, This now is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman. He didn't know anything about her. But he knew God who had orchestrated the entire event and had brought them together. So therefore, the commitment was he received her as a provision meeting the need. Put point one back up on the screen. Meeting the need that God saw in his life, he received his mate. I want you to get that. He received. Everybody say received. Can we get it on the screen? He received the mate. Is it not there? There we go. No, there we go. Receive your mate. Guys, that's important because here's what I want you to know. Oftentimes, oftentimes in relationships, it's easy to receive on the wedding day. It's easy to receive your mate and individually receive your mate as God's provision to meet the need for companionship in your life. The easiest day to do that is on the wedding day. What are you going to do a month later? What are you going to do a year later? What are you going to do when circumstances change? What are you going to do when they start to change? Let me tell you something. 1984, I was a whole different looking man than I am in 2015. Look, don't say yes too much over there. <laughs> you see, because in 1984, I weighed a whopping 165 pounds. I mean, I was so skinny in high school. I was mean as a snake, but I was skinny as a rail. I'm talking about on the football field, right? I had to tape up. And this back in the day when you didn't, you didn't throw your, you didn't wear these ankle socks, right? I mean, you wore these high, remember these, Harold? You wore those high top socks, right? I was so skinny. I was so skinny. <laughs> What'd you say? Harold still wears her socks? Is that what you said? <laughs> I, I, was, I was so skinny that my socks wouldn't even stay up. So I remember going to the trainer and saying, tape up my ankle. As soon as you finish taping up my ankle, tape up my socks. And he said, what? I said, my socks won't stay up. <laughs> so they taped up my socks up here so my socks would stay up. I was so scared. 165 pounds. You know what changed over 30 years? This old boy. I don't weigh 165 pounds anymore. It's now like 225. If I'm going to be real honest, it's closer to 230. Okay? Guess what? In 1984, I know this is going to be hard to believe. I had a full beard. I had a full beard like Tyler. Man, that thing was brown, dark brown. But I had a full head of hair. I know this is hard to believe, but this is back in the 80s. That stuff was parted down the middle. It was feathered on the side. Hello? Are you with me? I would go over and my wife, she would blow dry my hair. She would fix that stuff, you know. I mean, I even had it coming together in the back. Like a duck tail, you know. It just, it looked good, right? Woo! 
For those that, you remember Ric Flair? Woo! I don't know if, some of you guys don't even know who I'm talking about. Man, a whole lot's changed. So here's what I want you to get. This receiving your mate, it's going to require, get this, an attitude of continual acceptance. Are you with me? An attitude of continual acceptance. Hey, listen, when I got married, and some of you guys can relate to this, when I got married, I married up. I want you to see that. I didn't have a whole lot going on. I married up. She is more beautiful today than she was August the 4th, 1984. So it's not real hard for me to have this continual attitude of acceptance because, man, to me, she gets prettier and prettier every day. Are you with me, guys? So the one that has to have this is the woman. <laughs> guys, Somehow or another, we have a hard time getting better looking. <laughs> Hello? So wives, you're really going to have to implement this. You're going to have to have this attitude of continually receiving your mate as God's provision to meet the need for companionship in your life. So commitment number one is what? Receive. Now all these are going to rhyme. Commitment number two is this. Lead. You're going to have to receive your mate as God's provision for your life. But secondly, you're going to have to leave your parents. Now, I, don't have, I can't really unpack this in depth. When I do premarital counseling with couples, this is some of the stuff we go through, and we start unpacking this, and I ask them directly, what does that look like in your family, in your life? What does that look like with you, with mom and dad? Because here's what's going to have to happen. Whenever you receive your mate... You're going to have to leave your parents. Now, I'm not talking about write them out of your life. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about never have interaction with them again. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you know, whenever a baby is born, the umbilical cord that's got to be cut. Whenever a marriage takes place, there are two cords that need to be cut. And the two cords I'll put on the screen for you. The cord of dependency and the cord of allegiance. Now, both of those must be cut if you're going to live out this marriage in holy matrimony, right? If you don't want a Hatfield and McCoy relationship, you better cut these cords because it, the road's going to get rocky. You see, whenever I left my parents, while I was in their home and they were raising me, I was completely dependent upon them. But the day that I went to the altar and I said, I do, I severed that cord of dependency towards them. I did not expect them to take care of me. I'm now the man of the house. It's my job to take care of my family. And I'm now going to depend on my wife. I'm going to unplug that cord from my parents. I'm going to plug it into her. And her and I together are going to live life. We're going to depend on each other. And we're going to work our way through, trudge our way through the valleys and the hard places, and rejoice on the mountaintops, but we've unplugged from the parents, and we plugged into each other that cord of dependency. Now, parents, you must allow your child to unplug. I've seen some kids try to unplug and plug into their spouse, but the parent refuses to allow them to unplug, and they're always in the middle of this relationship. Say amen or oh me, but do you hear what I'm saying? Right? So we've got, to, we've got to sever the cord of dependency. The second thing, we've got to sever the cord of allegiance. We've got to sever that cord of allegiance. Now, my allegiance is no longer towards my mom and dad. I love them. I mean, I would do anything for them. But my allegiance is no longer towards them. My allegiance now is to my bride. She's the one that has my allegiance. She's the one that I plugged into that we're depending upon, right? Guys, gals, both, I've seen over the years problems here. When there's more allegiance to what mom and dad have to say than there is what the spouse are communicating one to another and trying to work out. 
So my point is, and I'm not going to pack this anymore. That's kind of enough. You get the point. We've got to leave our parents, sever that cord of dependency and, and allegiance. The third commitment is this. Everyone say receive. receive. Second one is leave. The third one is this, cleave. Okay? We've got to cleave to our mate. All right? So that word cleave means to stick like glue. Okay? We're sticking together like glue. It's a permanent bond. Matter of fact, in the book of Malachi, God says that He hates divorce. Now, let me just park right there. Anytime I preach this, someone gets offended that have gone through a rocky marriage and divorced and remarried and they think I've got it out for them. I do not. And by the way, if you've been married and divorced and remarried, listen, that does not make you a second-class Christian, right? I just want you to know that, that divorce is a sin like any other sin. You need to ask God to forgive you. He'll forgive you. As the, as the Scripture said in Psalm 103, our sins will be removed as far as east is from the west, and we move on and we live life according to God's plan. Got me? Okay? But from the beginning, I want you to know that God hates divorce. Now, why does God hate divorce? Let me tell you why God hates divorce. He hates divorce because it's painful. He hates divorce because of the pain that it brings you and the pain that it brings children and the pain that it brings extended families, right? So what He wants you to do is stick together like glue. So let me ask you, church, what is the glue that holds us together? What is that? If I'm going to cleave to my mate, and we all agree we should, then what is the glue that holds us together? Let me tell you what it is. It's the vow. It's the vow that a woman and a man make in front of family and friends and witnesses to their God that they are going to stick together like glue. It's a commitment. That we make. It's a vow that we make. Now, the vow contains three promises. I want you to get this, right? There are three promises that the vow contains. Number one, that I'm going to stay married to my bride or stay married, ladies, to your husband forever. That's vow number one. Okay, that's the promise in the vow. The second promise in the vow is that we are going to love and nurture and care for one another. That's the second part of the vow. Guys, and here's where I, I jump on the guys some, because here's where I see a whole lot of guys not doing this. Guys, all you husbands, look up. Look up. It's not time to pray. Dads, husbands, look at me. I want you to know something. The Word of God says that you are to love your bride as Christ loved the church. And finish it for me. And gave his life for it. Did you get me? That's in Ephesians 6. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. How did Christ love the church? He loved the church so much that He provided for the church? Husbands, love your wife so much that you provide for her. He loved the church so much that He cared and nurtured and still caring and nurturing for the church. Husbands, your wives need to know that you care for her more than anything else in the, in the world. She needs to know and feel your nurturing. He loves us unconditionally. By the way, marriage, it's not a 50-50 agreement. That's, that's called a business deal. That's a consumer business mentality, right? The old country song by Diamond Rio. I start walking your way, you start walking mine. We meet in the middle, neath that old Georgia pine. We gain a lot of ground. You guys with me? You know that old song? And it talks about when you meet in the middle. That's a wonderful country song. I love it. I crank it up every time I hear it. I love it. But it's horrible theology. Right? 
I am to love my wife 100% whether I get anything back in return or not. I am not loving her and caring for her and nurturing her and meeting her needs and providing for her just so I can get something back. It's not a business deal, right? And I tell you what, guys, if you love a woman like that, you're going to get something back. You're going to get love back. You're going to get companionship back. You're going to get served iced tea sitting in your recliner without even asking for it. Hello? It's that 100%. The vow that you stay married throughout your life, that you love and care for each other. By the way, how, let me go back. How Christ loved the church. He gave his life for it. Guys, guys give up your life for your wife. Sacrifice your dreams, your goals, your ambitions, your desires, your selfish motivations. And I can say all that because I have them too from time to time. It's easier for me to preach to the guys than it is to the girls. So guys, I apologize. You've got to bear this. But it's the truth. Sacrifice for her. Hello? Jesus did that for us. Oh, okay. I'll get off that. Third part of the vow. Third part of the vow is to maintain sexual fidelity. Be faithful to your spouse. Okay? Be faithful to your spouse. Jesus took it a step further. He said not only physical sexual fidelity, if you will, but even in a thought life. Jesus said, if you so much as look at a woman and lust after her, you've committed adultery already in your heart. Guys, protect your thought life. Stay faithful to your bride in your thought life. That's good stuff, guys. Commitment number four, and I'm done. Everybody can say, whoo, praise the Lord. Commitment number four is this. We're going to receive our mate as God meeting the need of provision, the provision in our life for companionship. We're going to leave our parents. We're going to cleave. We're going to stick together like glue in this vow that we make one to another that I am going to receive you, that I'm going to love you, that I'm going to care for you, that I'm going to stay married to you, that I'm going to be sexually pure towards you. That's the glue. And then here comes the fun part. I call it weave. So you're going to receive, you're going to leave, you're going to cleave. Then you're going to spend the rest of your life weaving your life together. Now the Scripture calls it becoming one flesh. Oneness in marriage. Receive, leave, cleave, and now weave your life together. That implies a lot of different things. But let me give it to you real quickly, and I don't have time to unpack this. I've got to stop. But this becoming one flesh, it's more than just the physical. This becoming one flesh, and I'll jot it down a few things here. Becoming one flesh spiritually by the vow. Economically by sharing. Logistically. By adjusting our time and agreeing on the disbursement of all of life's resources. We are a team. We are working together. And then oneness in experience. Experiencing things together. Discovering things together. Being adventurous together. And then, of course, sexually And that's that bonding together physically. And you could go on and on. Emotionally, there needs to be that connection of oneness, weaving your life together. Now, guys, you know what that's called? To live out these four commitments? It's called work. You'll not be able to put your marriage on autopilot and just hope in 30 years everything is good. I'm amazed with the number of divorces that take place 30 years after marriage. And couples get a divorce. Why is that? Because somehow they've learned how to live together under the same roof, raise the kids together, get the kids through college, get the kids married, live in their own life, and then they come back to the nest and it's empty. There's nothing there. When I'm talking about empty, I'm not talking about the kids are gone. 
I'm talking about there's nothing built in their relationship. There's no oneness there at all. Take the kids out, and then they come back home. They look at each other and look across the table. Who are you? Right? The other one looks, well, who are you? Right? And sadly, too many get a divorce at that time frame in life. I promise you, if you spend your life, your married years, receiving your mate, leaving your parents, cleaving to one another, then weaving yourself together throughout all of life, the promise I'll make is that the percentage that you will get a divorce is going to drop drastically. I won't say it won't ever happen, but it will drop drastically when you start intentionally incorporating these things into your marriage. What took place around this table? And band, I'm done. You guys can come on up. What took place around this table, raising our family, started in 1984. Let me back up. It started in 1977 when I received Christ as my personal Savior. The second big event was 1984 when I said I do to my wife. That's what started this family. And that was the foundation of the family. So I wonder if heads are bowed and eyes, eyes are closed. Let me ask you this. Is Christ in the center of your relationship? Your relationship with each other? Your personal relationship with you and the Lord? In your family? Is Christ in the center? You see, because that's where it must begin. With the Lord Jesus Christ in the center of your life. And you may be here today and you may say, Preacher, I don't know that I've ever really done that. Let me try to help you today. Let me try to encourage you. I wonder right now as the band just plays softly and we have this time of meditation between us and the Lord. Right now, how are things between you and God? Are they where they need to be? If not, then maybe right now you just need to say, God, will you please forgive me? Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died for the sins of the entire world, my sins included. I believe you were buried on the cross. I believe you rose again. And right now, Lord, I want to receive you into my life to be my Savior. Father, if there's one here that's prayed that prayer right now, God, I just pray that you give them the assurance of their salvation in their heart. Right now they've called out to you and they've asked for your forgiveness. And they're starting that relationship with you. And Father, I pray that it will be a journey that like, like none other they've ever been on. This journey with you is so real. Thank you for once that prayed today to receive you as their Savior. There may be some others here that You've already accepted Christ as your Savior, but you realize that just maybe He's not in the center of your relationship as husband and wife. Maybe He's just not there like He should be. Whenever we think about the commitments and we think about receiving each other and having this, con this attitude of continual acceptance of receiving each other as God's provision. And then leaving our parents and severing the umbilical cord of dependence and allegiance. And then cleaving to our mate, staying faithful to the vows that we committed to our spouse and to our God. And then learning how to weave together, to live life together, to have oneness. Father, commit these marriages and these relationships and these ones that are engaged and I commit these relationships to you and Father without you in the center of our relationships there's no way we can have a healthy marriage or a healthy home or a healthy family
Father, we bring you back. We place you at the center of our life, the center of our marriage, the center of our families, the center of our home. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, for each family that's represented. And Father, there are none of us that are perfect families. None of us are perfect husbands, myself included. None of us are perfect wives or perfect children or perfect homes. But God, we're striving for your way of living. And with that, we need a tremendous amount of your grace and your mercy and your love. And we want to remain teachable. We want to remain soft enough that you can form us into the vessel that will bring honor and glory to you. Father, use our families, use our home, use our marriages to reflect your image, to be the testimony to the world that the biblical mandate for marriage still works. It's a beautiful thing. It still meets needs today in all of our society. Bless each home, each family, each husband, each wife, each mom, each dad, each child, each sibling. For the single folks here, bless them. Help them, Lord, to find that mate that will help them to honor you. Father, we ask your blessings on each one that's here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, O'Fallon, Illinois, 62269. Come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.